Hi everyone, I'm Anya Parampil and this is Redlines. Elena Duhan, the UN Special Rapporteur on the Negative Impact of Unilateral Coercive Measures or Sanctions on the Enjoyment of Human Rights, has filed a preliminary report outlining her findings during a recent trip to Venezuela. Duhan concludes, quote, that sanctions imposed against Venezuela, its citizens, and companies affect people in Venezuela and beyond its territory in both the public and private sectors, third-country nationals and employees of third-country companies affected by secondary sanctions or fear of them, donors and international humanitarian NGOs, beneficiaries of assistance from international organizations traditionally financed by Venezuela, while low-income people, women, children, and people with special needs or chronic or severe diseases are affected most with regard to the whole scope of human rights, including civil, political, economic, social, and cultural rights, and the right to development. Special Rapporteur Elena Duhan joins me now to discuss her report. Professor Duhan, welcome to Redlines. It's a pleasure. Let's get into this number, which for me was the most shocking aspect of your report, at least for me while reading it. You write, quote, the government's revenue was reported to shrink by 99% with the country currently living on 1% of its pre-sanctions income. That's quite a stunning number. Where does it come from? Yes, indeed. The number is rather shocking. Naturally, we shall understand that uh, the governmental income includes not only the impact from the external revenues, but also some impact from taxes and some, impact, uh, some income which is coming from inside of the country. But when it comes to the external revenue, indeed, only 1% has left. This fact has been... Uh, let's say this figure comes from this governmental statistics first, and it has been... Um, verified by a number of other interlocutors. And you write about how sanctions affect all aspects of life in Venezuela, from food to, and medicine supplies to education to the availability of food. You say, quote, the announced purpose of this maximum pressure campaign to change the government of Venezuela violates the principle of sovereign equity of states and constitutes an intervention in the domestic affairs of Venezuela that also affects its regional relations. How do you respond to officials who claim sanctions are targeted against people in the government in Venezuela and that it has nothing to do with regime change? Well, the, my quote basically comes from the point of the statements of some of the United States officials. That's not neither my invention nor even the invention of any interlocutors I met. Uh, that's why I believe that it was necessary to put it into the report. However, when we speak about the overall impact on sanctions, I completely disagree with the point that that is targeted. First of all, as it comes from our first question, because the government is... Venezuela itself is not able to sell its oil products as well as gold and other mining products anymore. Second, as a result, it doesn't get an, a revenue. It has no impact to, income to support the developmental projects as well as to continue its social policy in the same way it used to do it before 2016 when sanctions came into force. 
Then the second point comes to the point that the assets are frozen, and that's, we speak about $6 billion, which are frozen in the United States, United Kingdom, and Portuguese banks. And despite the repeated discussions to release these funds to be used through the UNDP or through PAHO to buy medicine and vaccines, and in accordance to the information received, the agreements have been signed from the side of the government and the side of the United Nations, they were not signed by the opposition, and therefore these transactions didn't take place. And as a result, the country was unable to receive the vaccines, the med medical health, as well as essential goods. Moreover, the Venezuela government is not able to buy any machinery, spare parts, and any other aspects. And that means that it's very complicated to maintain infrastructure which is centralized in Venezuela. And I speak here about the water supply, electricity system, gasoline production, fuel, um, agriculture production, and uh, in industrialization, as well as transportation of all that goods around the country. Unfortunately, uh, the imposition of sanctions is also facing enormous overcompliance in this situation. I talked to a huge number of interlocutors from the private sphere to university professors, to citizens, to doctors, to NGOs, and uh, I need to say that even the interlocutors which are not supporting the government or even the, against the government at all, they all report that they face situations when their bank assets have been frozen abroad when they face a problem to book the tickets, private companies have to do their business through search agents, which nationally makes everything more complicated and increases prices and make the delivery of any goods to Venezuela smaller and smaller with every day. I noticed just one day before your report's publication, the U.S. representative to Venezuela, James Story, he's actually based in Bogota, Colombia. He tweeted, quote, The crisis in Venezuela is due to the corruption of the regime. The U.S. is the largest donor of humanitarian aid for the crisis in Venezuela and completely exempts humanitarian goods for the Venezuelan people from sanctions. What is your response to his claims that the U.S. is actually helping Venezuela and especially that sanctions actually exempt the delivery of humanitarian supplies. I'm absolutely aware of this position from the side of the United States government. At the same time, again, taken to, uh, due to the very high level of political assessment of Venezuela visit, as well as sanctions against Venezuela, I did my best to meet all possible interlocutors. And therefore, any statements I do are based uh, not on the position of one of them, like only the government or the opposition of whomever else. The, all facts are verified. Therefore, when we speak about the humanitarian exemptions, all interlocutors refer to them as very hardly to be, hard to be implemented, very ineffective. Even uh, the doctors, which have to deal with the aspects of delivery of uh, medicine or vaccines, face serious problems. I have already mentioned the situation when, for example, the funds haven't been released even to buy the medicine and vaccines. Uh, several cases have been reported that the bank transfers to buy the medicines have been frozen. 
Moreover, when it comes to the delivery of food, medicine, and other essential goods, all interlocutors, including the private ones and non-governmental organizations, refer to the fact that it's very problematic, very lengthy. The majority of banks and partners prefer not to submit any supplies to Venezuela, even if it comes to food or medicine or vaccination or medical equipment. Another point which I need to mention, yes, indeed, the U.S. government is insisting that they provide humanitarian aid to Venezuela. However, I need to say that none of interlocutors I met, none of them, including lots of non-governmental organizations dealing with humanitarian aid, referred to the fact that they received this aid and they distributed. The facts which I received are that lots of the United Nations system through the UNDP and through UNICEF, as well as PAHO, as well as some private companies and some NGOs, as well as church, are doing humanitarian job and are delivering humanitarian aid. Uh, that's what has been supported by a number of interlocutors. And that, that's why, for example, if you look at the figures on statistics in the sphere, for example, of vaccines against measles, malaria, yellow fever, uh, as well as when you're speaking about the uh, tests and medication in HIV situations, as well as some other medications, some figures are improving in 2019-2020 when the government of Venezuela started to cooperate very actively with UNICEF, UNDP and PAPO, mm. as well as some other humanitarian actors as concerned the delivery and distribution of humanitarian aid. I haven't heard any statement as concerned the delivery and distribution of humanitarian aid delivered by the U.S., and even if there is aid delivery on behalf of the United States, that doesn't erase another figure in your report, which you've already mentioned, the fact that the U.S. and its allies have seized $6 billion worth of Venezuelan assets abroad. This includes Citgo Petroleum in the United States. What is the impact of of this theft? That's what the Venezuelan government describes it as, at least. What, how has that impacted average Venezuelans? Well, take into account that Venezuela can't sell oil anymore. It needs money to buy the goods which are necessary for the society. And moreover, take into account that in the contemporary situation, inflation is enormous and sanctions have exacerbated the problems which Venezuela had before they have been imposed. The Venezuela is facing economic and humanitarian crisis today. Due to the fact that the average salary of people in Venezuela diverts from one to ten dollars per month, and in a view to the fact that, for example, food basket is around two hundred to hundred and fifty dollars per month, the population becomes increasingly dependent on the aid from the government, and I speak about the supplies of food, some money, school supplies, school form. Uh, shoes, any other form of support, as well as of the humanitarian aid which has been delivered by UNICEF and so forth. And therefore, the impossibility to use this money prevents the government on the possibility to buy necessary supplies. And uh, I have also already mentioned the problems which have been faced through the attempt to 
sign an agreement with UNDP and PAHO for medical supplies, food and essential goods. As far as I know, the similar agreement is negotiated right now, and that's why I recommend to sign this agreement um, with uh, the United Nations to be able to buy essential goods. And when I'm speaking about essential goods, I speak about the broader concept of essential goods, medicine, medical equipment, food, spare parts, essential goods for every day, but also the equipment and spare parts to restore the industry in the sphere of water, electricity, the sphere of the uh, oil refineries, as well as, for example, the internet coverage and any other is uh, under the control and through the United Nations and PAHO. So basically, um, I got an impression that the United Nations organization is ready to assist and ready to monitor how these goods are bought and how they are distributed by the government. And it's the opposition that up, up until this point which has refused to sign that agreement. That's how I was reported. One piece of information you put forward in your report is that the seizure of Sitgo alone prevented transplants of liver and bone marrow to 53 Venezuelan children. I just thought I would mention that to give viewers an idea of the direct correlation between the theft of these assets and the suffering of the Venezuelan people. UN Special Rapporteur Alfred de Zayas, who visited Venezuela in 2017 and compared the U.S. economic blockade to a modern-day medieval siege, wrote about how he experienced a, quote, atmosphere of intimidation as he conducted his investigation, including attacks on social media and pressure from NGOs not to proceed. Have you experienced any similar pressure? I would say that I had lots of meetings during my visit and my general understanding of the situation against regardless of the political vision of the situation and the political opinion of the people I met, I was able to see the general understanding that sanctions are exacerbating economic and social and humanitarian situation in Venezuela a lot. And this opinion has been uh, expressed by the majority of the interlocutors I met. And what has the reaction been to your report so far from media and colleagues? That's very complicated to judge this point. Naturally, there are lots of comments which are pretty unfriendly. But uh, as for the report itself, I need to repeat again. The sphere of human rights is very expanded one. As a special rapporteur on the negative impact on unilateral coercive measures on the enjoyment of human rights, my mandate is devoted to three aspects. The first one is to assess the legality of unilateral measures taken against Venezuela, what is done in the specific part of the report, as concerns different types of sanctions imposed against Venezuela. The second part is to assess the um, humanitarian impact of these sanctions on human rights. And that was I tried to do, collecting all necessary information and with specific examples as concerned the people with HIV, with school supplies, with uh, internet coverage, with water which is delivered. People have like once per five, per seven days, electricity uh, supplies and so forth. And the last point naturally is 
the problem of delivery of humanitarian aid. So my purpose was to understand uh, whether there are any impediments in delivery of humanitarian aid exist uh, because of imposition of sanctions. And uh, if you look at the report, you will, you will be able to see that there are some recommendations which are addressed to the sanctioning countries as concerned the withdrawal of sanctions. There are some recommendations which are addressed to the government as concerned the cooperation with international organizations and be its behavior in order to uh, assist protecting human rights uh, and while being under the sanctions and the improve the delivery of humanitarian aid. Uh, as well, there are some recommendations which are addressed to the international organizations, United Nations, from the United Nations system from the first hand. That's why, again, the problem of human rights shall be assessed from different perspectives. And uh, my mandate doesn't cover the whole scope of human rights. But unfortunately, take into account that unilateral sanctions affect human rights in general and affect human rights in Venezuela a lot. This aspect shouldn't be forgotten. But again, as concerned the general picture, there is an agreement which has been signed between the government of Venezuela and the UN High Commissioner on Human Rights as concerned the visits of various special rapporteurs as well as cooperation between the Office of High Commissioner and the government. And one of my recommendations uh, concerns the imp full implementation of this agreement and invitation of other special rapporteurs who will be able to check the situation within their respected mandates as, uh, as well. And you were in Venezuela for two weeks. Can you give listeners an idea of how you went about making this report? Who did you meet with? Who did you speak with? Because I know there are critics already who are going to say that it was skewed toward the government narrative, and that's going to be what the opposition says as well. Yes, indeed. The all country visits usually last 10 working days, so generally speaking, two weeks of being in the country. During these two weeks, the schedule and the agenda is provided and is made by the United Nations. So the, there are several principles of functioning of special procedures and impartiality and independence is the very first of them. Then we come to the point of uh, comprehensiveness of the report that basically means that there is a need to involve all interlocutors which are acting in this sphere. Naturally, the next principle comes to the verification that basically means that there is a need to verify every single state and every figure which has been cited in the course of the report, other in, in the course of the country visit, otherwise it can't be used. And naturally, the last principle is confidentiality and non-reprisal. So no one can ever face any negative consequences because of sharing information with any special rapporteur, not only uh, as for me. When we come to the making of the agenda, the agenda itself has been prepared by the United Nations and I had the human rights officer who accompanied me to the country visit in Venezuela and who was accompanying me at all the visits. Uh, as concerned the interlocutors which I made, naturally the, I met the huge scope of governmental officials because unfortunately application of unilateral sanctions is affecting nearly all spheres of functioning of Venezuela economy as well as it affects all 
spheres of social and humanitarian life of population in Venezuela. Therefore, I would say that I met uh, like the whole cabinet in the country. I met the president of Venezuela, vice presidents, both executive and sectorial. Uh, at the same time, I also met the different groups, uh, different groups of opposition, because there is a pretty very cut of opposition and very uh, various scope of opposition groups in Venezuela. I met a huge number of uh, NGOs, of social, human rights and humanitarian NGOs. Besides those organizations I met, I also received several dozens of uh, submissions in response to my call for contributions before the country visit to Venezuela. Then I also met uh, the trade unions as far as economic and social rights of workers are affected a lot and there are problems as concerned the people working, being involved in the grey economy or losing their jobs in some situation because of the contemporary situation. I met doctors, I met university professors, teachers, I met uh, people living in Venezuela, I met uh, people who have been uh, infected by serious diseases, I visited hospitals, in particular cardiological hospital and the hospital for prenatal and uh, the baby hospital as well. I visited several schools. I met uh, the uh, church, the representatives of church in Venezuela. Uh, I met, an, uh, I believe, all United Nations agencies uh, being present in Venezuela and Pajo. And I met a substantial part of the diplomatic corps uh, being in Venezuela right now. And naturally, as far as uh, there is a need to have a look what was happening beyond Caracas. I did a visit to Cocobobo. I would prefer to have more field visits, but unfortunately, due to the fact of the huge scope of human rights being affected, enormous number of interlocutors, which I was supposed to meet, uh, it was impossible to feed the visit uh, to um, other parts of Venezuela, although I would like to, I would be happy to do that. And that's why I was welcoming all the interlocutors, some of which came from the remote areas of Venezuela and including some of which were the representatives of indigenous population as such, uh, to submit any additional contributions uh, as well as to forward information. And uh, that was the same request which I forwarded to all interlocutors, regardless pro-governmental or anti-governmental or neutral in this situation. And again, I need to mention that the report which has been provided is the preliminary assessment report. The final report will be provided to the Human Rights Council in September 2021. And uh, I'm still welcoming all information, statistics, figures, uh, opinions until May. What was your impression of the people of Venezuela or your takeaway from conversations with just average people as you see them suffering under these unilateral coercive measures imposed from the outside? That's, again, a very con uh, complicated question, but I need to say that the people which I met uh, and I speak uh, about visiting those who are suffering because of some diseases, because I was focusing, focusing on the affected group the most. 
people whom I met, let's say, at poor areas with low income areas, they basically describe the facts which you can see in my report, the facts of very low salary, the problems uh, with delivery of goods, the problems with uh, water supply, uh, saying like uh, our region is happy to get water once per five days, per three, four hours. Uh, problems with uh, internet connections, because generally speaking, and that's reflected in the report, the internet coverage is uh, really low in Venezuela. And when we come to the uh, situation of distant learning, the one which all, all of us are facing today because of the pandemic, that's a problem to guarantee the distant learning. Uh, moreover, they were speaking about schools, and uh, I was really inspired by the fact that despite of all difficulties, they are thinking about education in part a lot, and they're concerned about education a lot. Yes, I can say that from my experience in Venezuela, too, it is an inspiring to speak to the people there who who remain strong in spite of, of these sanctions. I want to close by asking you about your recent comments also regarding Syria. You spoke out about U.S. sanctions targeting the country, saying that it's preventing it from rebuilding in the aftermath of war. What similarities do you see between the targeting of Venezuela and Syria with these unilateral coercive measures? One of the main problems is that as soon as the country starts to lack the resources, naturally it needs to handle its budget somehow. And then we come to the selection, what the country shall do first. And naturally, when it comes to the malnutrition, when it comes to starvation and impossibility to get a normal medication, in the situation of limited resources, these needs are covered on the first hand. And as a result, unfortunately, all reconstruction and development pro projects are stopped. I have been reported about a number of projects which are under the consideration, including the ones which come to the restoration of normal functioning of infrastructure as concerned the fuel, electricity, water, uh, internet coverage, telecommunication coverage. Naturally, when we speak about Venezuela, which is very much dependent on the imports from various countries, which are, as today, the majority of them impose sanctions on Venezuela. For Venezuela, it's important either to restore the import of the spare parts and machinery or to find other uh, suppliers or to start the production. Uh, in the country itself. I have been reported about some projects which come to uh, the production of agricultural goods or some sort of uh, production of food from the agricultural goods planted in Venezuela, as well as some sort of environmental developmental project which shall provide the economic development and shall provide the goods produced internally uh, for this benefit of the people. And naturally, when we refer to the situation of Syria and prevention of reconstruction, here the situation is the same. In the absence of money, it's impossible. Uh, the food and medicine will always be on the first hand, first line. And the developmental project are usually stopped. 
UN Special Rapporteur Elena Duhan, Professor of International Law, thank you so much for your time today, and we look forward to your full report coming in September 2021. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you.